Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm George Connolly, and this is Scratch Stories, the podcast where I sit down with golf's most interesting individuals and discuss their golf journey. On today's episode, I spoke with Keith Bennett, a former collegiate golfer and current Class A PGA professional. Keith has grown a large social media following by posting great drills and tips for golfers of all abilities. If you are looking to improve your golf game and get more out of your golf lessons, this episode will be really valuable to you as Keith shares some excellent insights into how golfers can become more proactive in their lessons and more productive in their practice. We also talk about the mental side of the game, which is always very interesting to hear from a PGA professional. So there are so many great lessons to be learned from a guy like Keith who is not only one of the best teaching professionals around, but he's quite the golfer himself, as you'll find out through the episode. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Keith Bennett. All right, everyone, I'd like to welcome Keith Bennett onto the podcast. Keith, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, George, yeah, thanks for having me on, and I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Absolutely. Um, now, Keith, you are a professional golfer. You are a, a teacher, a great social media uh, influence as well, over 53,000 on Instagram, uh, great content uh, creation on your end. But I'd like to start off before we dive into all of those aspects. Everyone has a story or a lesson or a person who brought them into the sport of golf. Where can you pinpoint uh, how you became passionate about the game and your first introduction to it? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. It's interesting. I didn't really start out playing golf as a junior. You know, I didn't play junior golf. I didn't play high school golf. Um, I grew up in Stowe, Vermont, and uh, wasn't really a golfing town, wasn't really a golfing state, to be honest. I uh, did a lot of winter sports, uh, played tennis and soccer in the summer, but snowboarding was my main passion um, as, a, as a junior, kind of up until I was about 18, um, and took that pretty seriously and moved out, out west, actually, to California and Colorado uh, to pursue that at a higher level um, didn't really work out and for a number of reasons but I would say about when I was getting 16 17 when I'd come home for the wind from winter for the summer to back to Vermont um, a couple of my friends started playing golf a little bit more I was getting a little bit more interested now my brother David who's my older brother uh, was a head professional uh, general manager at some golf courses in the in the Stowe Vermont area growing up. Uh, so he's actually 13 years older than I am. A uh, really good player in his own right. Went to uh, University of North Florida. He's actually in the in the University Athletic Hall of Fame there uh, for golf. Uh, I think he was the first golfer inducted into that Hall of Fame. Wow. Um, so golf had always been in my family. My dad played, his dad played. So it's always been around, um, but it, was, it really didn't catch my interest at all um, for whatever reason. Uh, until I turned about 16, 17, for some reason, I started to get more intrigued by the sport. Um, I really liked the idea of the, of the objectivity of you shoot the score or you don't, right? There's nobody, you know, in snowboarding, you have judges telling you that, you know, you performed a trick mm -hmm. to their liking better than somebody else. Um, and I, I, that never really sat well with me that, you know, somebody could determine whether or not I finished highly in a competition you know, I'd rather win or lose on my merit, you know, like more sure. of a meritocracy of like you play well or you don't. And I think that had started to become a little bit more popular in my mind as far as how golf was working. And I started to play a little bit more and got, got a little bit better, a little faster and just started to enjoy it. So I, I guess around 17, 18, I started to play a little bit more in the summers, 
I got kind of like a, a junior ish membership at a country club and uh, just ended up spending almost every summer day out there. Uh, I had a couple of other people that I would play golf with some buddies. Um, but then you start to meet the older country club club crowd and, and kind of get in with them as well. Um, and then, you know, there was kind of a decision to make about college, you know, what to do, where to go, what to study. Um, and my parents had found this PGM golf management program and there's 15 or 17 accredited universities across the United States. Uh, so I looked into a few of those. I actually ended up going to the, the campus in Colorado Springs first um, that had the PGM program for a year. Um, but then I wanted to transfer to summer with, with golf and weather year round. So I ended up looking at FSU at the time had a program in New Mexico state and, uh, ended up at New Mexico state and, uh, just kept pursuing golf and, and, uh, was able to, to actually get, get my game to a point where I was able to walk onto the team there for my last couple of years. And, and, uh, and also I got my PGA class A accreditation, um, while I was there. So, you know, who got me into the sport? I don't know that it was one person in particular, you know, my brother, my older brother, David had a, had a pretty good influence on me. I definitely looked up to him and wanted to kind of do whatever he was doing, but it wasn't like it was a serious draw into the sport. I think it was just kind of, I started to take an interest in, in the game as a whole. Uh, and then I realized how fun it was getting better at it. And then, you know, one thing kind of led to another. So if you, you said you started playing golf in your, your later teen years, you must've escalated pretty quickly. If, by the time you were in school, you're already playing for the team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of one of those people where I sort of just go all in head first into something, you know, uh, just kind of put the blinders on, put my head down and get better at it. Um, you know, I started reading books. Uh, you know, one of those, I was talking to my brother about it when I was, I was getting better and he recommended some, some golf psychology books, Bob Rotella type stuff, which really has a, has still to this day has a pretty serious impact on my teaching and my philosophy and just how I view the game of golf. I think that stuff is, is uh, underrated by a lot of uh, the, the casual golfers, you know, more of the experienced golfers know everything about that, but the casual golfer still hasn't quite come around to that sort of way of thinking. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain how my skill level got to it was other than I just put in a ridiculous amount of hours and, and, and started to figure the game out and, and had a score. And, and, you know, it wasn't something like I had this, this really meteoric rise. Um, it was just kind of like little step baby steps along the way. And, and I played a, a good tournament before the semester started, like the day before school started. Um, there's an amateur event called the Mesilla Valley amateur at our school at the home golf course at New Mexico state. I think I finished second behind a couple of, of the coaches guys. And, and that night he texted me, asked me if I want to play for the team. And, and so it was kind of like a, a surprise, but I was, I was way on board because I'd always had the mindset of, you know, let me just try to get to the next level. Um, and for me, that next level was, you know, the college team. Um, and then, you know, whatever the next level was after that. So I was always just trying to like, kind of, you know, climb the rungs of the ladder, so to speak. And so that just ended up being how, how it came about. So you're, you're working on your game on your own. And then I'm guessing there's a pretty, there's, there's a pretty big switch between just being on the range by yourself and then going on to a team with coaches and teammates. How did you find that switch? Um, how, was that a rude awakening or how did that, how did that go for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting looking back. Uh, it's definitely golf is definitely a, an individualistic sport. You know, you don't, really ever have a team when you're playing as a junior growing up, unless you play on a high school team, which I never did. So I didn't really have that experience to draw back on. Um, 
you know, I liked the team environment and we had a, a good camaraderie where everybody was really pushing each other to get better. Um, but I definitely felt it was an interesting mental switch when you're playing for somebody else, you're playing for a teammate or a team or the, you know, the, the greater good, so to speak. And it's not just, you know, if you lose, oh, great. You know, you go home and you, you try to figure out why it didn't go well. And then you go out and you try to get better the next day, but you, you kind of have people counting on you. And so that can add a little bit of pressure, which for me, I don't know that I was ready for that because I didn't have any experience to draw back on like a high school experience or even a middle school type thing that a lot of uh, junior golfers have before they play college golf. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely an adjustment period. And I think ideally I would have had a few more years to get better uh, and used to that before maybe my last two years. And then I think I would have had a much easier time compartmentalizing all of that in my head and being able to just get on the golf course and go play. But at the same time, I also think it made me improve my game quite a bit. You know, I look around and, and these guys are, had been playing golf their whole life. They're, you know, better than me in, in many aspects. And so it forced me to sort of up my game. And, and I always think that is one of the best ways to improve is to get in the arena with people who are better than you and almost kind of get your, you know, your ass kicked a little bit, so to speak, and then figure out why that's happening and, and kind of get motivated to get better. Sure. So how would you say, um, how many years did you play on that team? Uh, I played two years total. And how did you feel as though you played? Like, I'm guessing you went in with certain expectations. Did you feel that you met those? You liked the pressure? What did you learn about your game during those years? Yeah, you know, I was playing well when I got on the team. You know, I had I had a good result on in that, in that amateur tournament when I walked onto the team and got asked to play. So I was playing well, and I actually qualified through, you know, through qualifying, I actually qualified for the first event to travel with the team. Um, but it was the way it happened was so fast and I was so, I wasn't in the NCAA system yet. And so I actually couldn't get like NCAA approval before the first event. So I missed out on that tournament, which was, which was pretty devastating at the time. I was pretty bummed about it. Um, but then I, I think there was only one, one event that I didn't qualify for. So, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was usually like the fourth or fifth man on the team qualification status. So um, I played, several events as an individual so you know colleges take five guys and then they have to pick the four guys that are going to be the counting scores um and so i think i played a handful of tournaments just as the individual which teams are allowed to bring one individual along but that was fine with me i didn't really care i just wanted to go and play and 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 get the experience and you know we played against some pretty good teams you know i think in the when we qualified for the um for the sectionals uh, we played SMU was there. So, you know, Bryson was there. Uh, you know, Thomas Dietrich was there. Thomas Peters was there on the, uh, the Illinois team. So, you know, it was some pretty serious competition. I definitely wasn't, I was definitely like a fish out of water mm -hmm. in that regard. I mean, these guys are studs, obviously who are winners on tour. Um, but yeah, I mean, no better way to, to sort of figure out where your weaknesses are. And I thought I played well considering I'd never played on a high school team. Uh, you know, never, I, never really played a three or four day event up until that point. So, um, but again, I'm sort of one of those per people who I don't really get freaked out by any of that stuff. I just kind of say, okay, you know, here's the situation at hand. This is what I have to deal with. How can I do my best in this situation? Um, and, and if it went well, it went well. And if not, it was a, a learning experience. So um, yeah, I, would, I, I was just happy to make the team to be honest and, and get the opportunity to play with better golfers.
I bet. And you talk about learning experiences. I'm guessing a lot of what you've learned from playing those few years helped you not only in your studies during school, but also in your, the lessons that you would go on to teach after you graduated. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and some people don't share this belief, but I, I definitely believe it's true. It to be the case. Like I think it's important as an instructor to have the competitive background to fall on so I can empathize and I can and relate to my students, especially those younger students who are looking to go on to play high school golf or college golf, um, just to have that experience to kind of say, hey, I've been there. I know what you're feeling. I know what you're experiencing. This is how I tried to cope with it. Here are some suggestions for you. So I think that's really important that the coach has also done that. And for me, I, I still try to compete at the highest level I possibly can. You know, for me right now, that's playing in the in the Pacific Northwest PGA section events and pro-ams and, you know, hopefully qualifying for the national championship at some point. And then the ultimate goal would be to qualify for the PGA championship through all those stages. So I'm, it's not like I've, I've stopped competing or any of that. So I, I'm, I'm still feel like I'm pretty young in my competitive golf journey as a, you know, on the grand scheme of things, having kind of really started only competing when I was about 18, 19, and now I'm 29 now. So, you know, that 10 year window, uh, you know, most of the people I was competing against in college had been playing for 10 years prior to that. And, and, you know, playing, you know, AGGA events and junior golf tournaments, which I never had the opportunity to play. So I still feel like I'm, I'm doing plenty of learning as we go along, but, you know, I can, can definitely have some experiences to draw back on to relate to my students. So I think that is a, a positive as a coach for sure. Absolutely. And, and I think even as a, as a student looking at their coach and saying, well, this is a guy who isn't perfect. And this is a guy who's working at his game. That's gotta be comforting for them. And that's just gotta add to that relatability. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think there is that, that spark that you might light in them when I can talk to my students, you know, just coming back from a tournament and saying, Hey, you know, I, I let myself slip into a, a kind of a bad mindset, even though I preach, you know, whatever, you, you know, staying, staying in the moment or staying present, like, you know, it, it's harder than it sounds. And I, I fall into that same thing too. And, you know, this is what we can learn from it. And so, you know, I'm definitely not perfect, but I'm, I'm also actively trying to get better at all times, you know, trying to find the 1% that I can improve on, you know, constantly working on my swing, constantly working on my course management, my mental game and all that sort of stuff. So, so absolutely. It's something where the, my students can see that I'm still working on it and that can kind of give them a little bit motivation that, that, you know, I'm doing it. And so help them to also kind of spark that, that interest. Sure. So, I think your, your coaching philosophies and the way that you orient yourself is a, a, a more modern way of doing it, which is probably much better because there are a lot of coaches who will just say, you know, you need to work on this and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. But I would say, now correct me if I'm wrong, but your coaching process is more process oriented, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would a thousand percent agree with that. Definitely process oriented. So in teaching that process, and you also spoke about mindset, I think mindset is obviously a huge part of golf and one that is overlooked by some teaching pros. How in your instruction do you emphasize those things that aren't necessar necessarily tangible? Like if you're working on fundamentals, you can say, do this with your arm or rotate your hips this way. But when you're talking about process and when you're talking about mentality, you can't just put that in front of someone and have them immediately conceptualize it. So that must be difficult. How do you go about that in your lessons? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's it's tantamount and and super important to to the learning process. I've I've really started to learn and read more about the art of learning and how humans learn and how the brain works and how the stages of learning happen. I think there's so much more to coaching an individual and coaching a person than just being able to tell them where the golf club should be at various points in the golf swing. At the end of the day, that stuff's not super complicated. What is complicated and what is the, the, the fine art of teaching is in the finesse of being able to kind of understand the individual that's standing in front of you, their learning style, how they might be able to, to gain some knowledge faster to be able to understand what you're talking about a little bit quicker. Um, I've really started to, to appreciate how important picking the right words are and how to communicate. Some people might hear something and it doesn't resonate, whereas somebody else might hear it and it totally has a light bulb moment for them and picking the right wording so that there's no confusion about what is being said, I think is, is incredibly important. And I really try to make that happen in my, anything I put on Instagram is, okay, I know this is going to be seen by thousands of people. I want to make sure that the wording is such that everybody who watches this has a really clear understanding of what I'm trying to get across. And I think, you know, in the comments and, and responses I get from people, I, I think that's something that people really appreciate. And one of the things that I do do to answer your original question is how do I get that across is I like to use analogies and I, I like to use metaphors and I like to spark images and visuals in people's mind. Uh, you know, one of the things I like to say when people want to go fast to make a swing change is, you know, basically you're learning. It's equivalent to you learning to play guitar right now. You know, you want to learn to play a song, right? You have a song in mind that you want to play. The only way that you're going to get to that song is learning the chords and the notes but you're not going to try to make those notes happen and make those chords go fast right out of the gate. You're going to learn the finger positions. You're going to learn how to strum with those finger positions. Then you're going to learn how to link up those chords and link up those notes. And it's going to be one, you know, one verse at a time. And, and, and it's going to be chunks. It's not going to be this, you know, beautiful thing that comes together all at once. Now, eventually it will be, but obviously, you know, it takes time. Now, for some reason, when people get a golf club in their hand, it seems like common sense goes out the window, mm. you know, but, if you kind of give them these, these other things they can relate to, then they start to go, Oh yeah, of course. You know, I would never think that it would be a fast process learning that, or I would never think it would be a fast process doing X, Y, or Z. And so those little things, those little visual cues or those little phrases or metaphors you can use, I think are super powerful because they spark images and, and relatability in people's mind to kind of get them on board that, Hey, this is a process and this isn't just a quick fix thing you know, like so many people think maybe a lesson might be. Absolutely. And I mean, although that that's certainly effective and it causes a lot more work on your end, which is obviously work that you like to do and it's gratifying work. So when someone comes in, how you teach one person is not a copy and paste method. It's very individualistic, very personalized. Sure. So when you, when you have somebody come in, how do you get to know them? What do you, what, what do you like to take from them in order to get a picture that will allow you to teach them better? Yeah, absolutely. Another great question. I think it's asking the right questions. You know, I think, I don't think in a lesson enough people ask enough questions. If you ask the right questions, it's almost like you can talk the student into coming up with the answer for themselves, okay. which is actually going to be the most powerful way for them to learn anyway. You know, when somebody comes up with the answer on their own terms or in their own way of thinking about it, 
it's going to have that click, that light bulb moment go off. So asking the right questions. I always ask what background people have, any other sports that they've played, you know, how, what they expect to get out of the lesson, you know, what are their motivations? You know, one of the most important questions I've realized asking is, why are you here? What's your motivation for coming for a lesson, right? If somebody says, well, you know, I have to play with my, my boss in three weeks and I don't want to embarrass myself and I'm just picking up a set of clubs. Well, that's a totally different golf lesson than somebody who says I'm coming, you know, I want to compete in my club championship. I'm a 10 handicap. I, I feel like I need to get down to a, to seven or eight to have a realistic chance of competing. Those are two totally different golf lessons. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so being able to coach each person, you know, the person who doesn't want to embarrass themselves, you know, maybe we go through like, okay, so, you know, what would be embarrassing about it? What are you afraid of? What, what would be these? Cause basically in my mind, they are setting, you know, their success in their minds is based on someone else's perception of them, which is an external motivating factor, which is not the best way to go about learning anything. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's no internal motivation from them. You know, I, I, it's not like someone saying, I want to get better because I, I love a well-struck golf shot and I love being out in, in the open air with the, you know, the sun going down and the shadows late at night. And I just love the feeling of, of, of making a putt, you know, those are internal motivations versus, you know, I, I want to impress somebody or I want to, I don't want to embarrass myself. So maybe we get to the root cause of, Hey, you know, your motivation for this is a little fragile based on this, you know, maybe we can, we can reframe that in your mind, you know, maybe instead of being worried about your golf game, understanding that everybody you're out on the golf course with is also worried about not looking bad and, 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 and making, you know, and impressing everybody else. And they're all, they're all so deep in their own head that they're not even worried about you. So just, you know, have fun, relax and, and enjoy the moment. You know, those, that's actually being a coach in my mind versus just like teaching the golf swing. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Absolutely. I think that's, that, that's a great takeaway for anyone listening at home is just knowing that motivation. What, what is driving you to the game? And I mean, if you, if you go up to an instruction, go up to a lesson, you say, yeah, I just want to get, I want to get good at golf. That's just not enough. They can't work with that. So right. in offering more information about yourself to whomsoever your instructor is, I think that knowing that motivation is key. Um, and now one thing, Keith, that I'm curious to ask you about is a lot of people will go to these instruction and just expect, okay, this one hour I'll get better and then I'll get better next time and then I'll get better next time. But a huge part of lessons is what you leave them with. Right. You know, getting drills, getting certain things to work on. So how do you go about picking up on those intricacies of the swing and mentality and then not only helping them during that meeting time, but ensuring that following that lesson, they're going to continue to improve and you're putting them in that position for success? Yeah, I, again, it, it's important that you frame it in their mind so that they understand what success looks like. I think it's on the coach to let them know that, hey, in today's lesson, we are not going to experience proficiency and expertise, you know, from your golf swing. I want you to leave here with a really clear understanding. You know, you don't have any additional questions about what you need to practice when you're on your own. You know, people are going to spend way more time hitting golf balls by themselves than they'll ever spend in front of me. So if on every swing, they're asking if they did it correctly, that's a real red flag because they're not going to have me there to answer that question for them when they go and practice on their own. So I've really found it more valuable to teach people where to set a camera up to film their swings, what to look for on that film, you know, to kind of know is the club coming through the right spot for the shot that they want to hit or whatever they're trying to achieve. You know, 
where to, how to set an alignment stick up the same way every time, how to set their alignment and their aim every time that they go and hit balls, how to set their ball position up every time they go and hit balls. So again, it's more work for the coach, but at the end of the day, if you want to have that step-by-step increase, which is possible if the student does the work, then it is on the coach to make sure that they leave the lesson with a really clear understanding of what goes on. So I use a lot of, of, you know, again, question asking, you know, are you clear on this? Do you have any additional questions? You know, um, can I help clear that up in your mind any better or, or are we on board? And then I always ask them to reiterate everything that we talked about at the end of the lesson. So essentially at the end of the lesson, they give me back the lesson, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. I, you know, okay, teach me, what did we, what, what did we talk about today? You know, and if they can't do it, then we need to go over it again. You know, always powerful to have people write things down, uh, whether it be in the notes on their phone or in an actual little notebook. I always encourage people to keep a, a, a golfing journal, so to speak, that they kind of put in their golf bag so they can keep track of each lesson and the key points that we talked about. And so those things are, are really important in my mind and, and understanding, helping students understand that in this hour, like you said, you're not going to be hitting if you're, if you come in here with a, 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 a massive slice, we're not going to have you hitting perfect draws every time, but here's the step-by-step way for us to get there. And if you put it in the work, I promise you, you'll get to where you want to be. No, that's actually a very interesting thing to say. I didn't, I, I don't think I've even conceptualized that fully. No, I, a lot of people will see their instructors and their coaches as a crutch. And what you're saying is that that can't be the case, which is a great point. So if you're leaning on these people, like they know everything they, they do, they know a lot, but their, their knowledge will not be with you 95% of the time that you're on the course or practicing. So making sure that that's not there, it, it, it's probably not an easy thing to do, but it's something that needs to be done nonetheless. A thousand percent. And, you know, I always say my goal is to create self-sufficient golfers who can coach themselves you know, I don't want somebody coming back me back to me for five years, right? I haven't done my job and they're wasting time and money on, you know, something that I've probably already told them everything they need to know within the first two lessons, right? I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel every time they come for a lesson. Now, if they're somebody who likes to get out of the house and just hang out with somebody and have that social interaction and and, you know, that's a, again, but that's a different golf lesson. Like we said, that's a different lesson. That's more chit chat. That's more banter. That's more, you know, asking questions about personal life and just hanging out. And those are very, very valuable. And that can be something that somebody wants in, out of a coach student relationship. But if somebody's uh, of motivations or goals are different, then yeah, my goal almost at the end of the day is to coach myself out of a job, which sounds kind of interesting, but I don't mm-hmm. want you coming back for 20 lessons. Because again, I want you to have the tools at your disposal to be able to coach yourself when I'm not around. And I can give that stuff to you within a couple of lessons minimum, you know, or sorry, maximum. And then it's on to you. It's up to you to do the work. And, and, and so, you know, that's kind of how I see that going. Absolutely. Well, those are some excellent insights on instruction. Now, before I'd like to get in more to your, to your career professionally playing, because that's a very interesting story in itself. Before that, uh, just to everyone listening at home, it's easy to get a lesson and to find a pro and, and to, to show up for an hour, but what would be your biggest piece of advice for those people to really make the most of that? I think we've gone over a couple keys, you know, not relying on them, asking the right questions, knowing your motivation, mm-hmm. but is there anything that we haven't covered that can really help a person take advantage of those lessons? Absolutely. Um, not enough people show up with their own questions. 
a lot of people show up to a lesson and ask them, what do, you know, what do you want to work on today? Oh, I want to get more consistent. That is the number one answer. Everybody responds when I ask that, you know, why I want to get more consistent, but nobody in their mind really has a definition of what consistent means. You know, so I asked them, okay, so what is your definition of consistent? And to be honest, that definition runs the gamut for a lot of different people. You know, some people say it's hitting my driver better, right? Or some people say it's, it's a range of scores that they want to shoot. That's what they consider to be consistent. You know, I want my, my, my highest score to be 80 and my, my, or my 90 and my lowest score to be 80, right? I don't want it to be 105 or 85, you know, from one day to the next. So everybody has a different definition of consistency, but I would say in general, nobody shows up with key points that they want answered, that they want to have their coach talk them through. Um, and, a lot of people just show up and you go, what do we work on today? And they go, I don't know. You tell me, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. What are you, why are you here? <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of baffling to me when people show up and they say, I don't know, what, what should we work on? Like, what? Well, <laughs> this is your time. This is exactly. your lesson. Like, you know, I could, I guess I could tell you what I think you need to work on, but I don't get to play golf with you. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where your strengths and weaknesses are. So again, coming back to that golf journal, keeping a note, keeping, keeping, things they did well, things they didn't do well after each round and then coming back and then you and your coach going over that and saying, okay, so we're really struggling from a hundred yards or we're really struggling from chipping around the green. It's clear that that's, that's something that's setting you back. And, and now we can actually have something actionable to go, to go take a look at instead of like, just, just this no idea why we're here and we're just showing up because it's the hour that we go to the lesson and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think to answer the bigger question, coming with, you know, things you want to work on, keeping a journal so that you can actually write down, okay, after each round, some things, some key points that you need answered that you want to work on that you think you could, your coach could help you on, you know, cause if someone's saying, Hey, I can't seem to line myself up. I don't know how to align. Well, we're not going to hang out on the range. We're going out to the, the, you know, the 10th tee box and we're going to put some alignment sticks down and we're going to help you line, you know, line yourself up off the tee. Like, again, mm -hmm. that's a different lesson, sure. but I wouldn't be able to deliver that lesson to somebody unless they told me, Hey, this is what we really want to work on. So I'd say that's a huge key uh, to getting the most out of your time with a coach. So asking the right questions, coming in with a level of self-awareness and self-preparation. So yep. for someone wanting to show up to a lesson is saying something as simple as, I need to get better at my short game. Is that sufficient enough or should they be even more specific than that? Ideally it'd be more specific than that. You know, the short game covers, you know, a multitude of different shots, right? It could mm -hmm. be bunkers. It could be. Um, so yeah, more specific than that would be ideal. Now I understand a lot of people don't kind of know exact, especially if they're just getting started, they don't know exactly like, where they should be getting better or, or what better even looks like from various places. So again, it's on the coach to ask the right questions at that point, but you know, that would be a better start than just saying, you know, oh, I just want to get more consistent or I don't know, you tell me, right. At least it's starting the conversation and we're pinpointing an area of the game where things, you know, want to get, you want to get better. Now I ask people all the time, you know, do you want the prettiest range swing or do you want to shoot lower scores? Exactly. Everybody wants to shoot lower scores, right? That's why everyone shows up. They want to shoot lower scores. Now they think in their mind that it has everything to do with the golf swing. Once I start swinging the club better, I'm going to shoot lower scores. But the real answer there is it's not a one-to-one -one ratio, right? There's just too many other aspects involved to shooting lower scores. So what I tell everybody, every single person who wants to shoot lower scores or lower their handicap, they need to be keeping statistics on their game. Your golf game is the same as running a business. 
if you were running a business, you would have, you know, expenses, you would have revenues, you would have net profit, you would have return on investment. You would have all these things that you would keep track of to know if your business is growing or getting worse or shrinking, right? There's nothing different in golf. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a decent amount of stats to know where am I losing strokes? So you, again, you can come to your coach and say, Hey, I'm hitting two out of 18 greens. You know, we got to figure this out. Like, okay, let's go to work. Let's see why you're doing it. Is you, is your targeting off? Are you trying to get too aggressive? Right. Are you, you know, is your contact not where you need to be? Is your distance control? You don't really know how far your seven iron goes, you know, whatever the case may be, but at least we have something to go off of. Absolutely. I I've also said the same thing. I think keeping stats is imperative to further understanding. And I know that the, the GIN, the USGA GIN app, you can put in all those stats and then it compiles them into a dashboard now. So it'll show you, it'll show you your percentage of fairways and greens. It'll show you where you're missing your putts, all that stuff. So if you're looking to have better understanding of your game, or sometimes you'll shoot a high score and you don't know what happened, keeping stats couldn't be more, more key for that. Absolutely. And again, people tend to be subjective. They tend to have recency bias. They tend to look at the last, round of golf they played and say that's a overall picture of my whole golf game right but you need to keep stats for an entire summer 20 Mm -hmm. 30 rounds of golf that's a big enough sample size to say hey yeah you know what my driving is a trend i'm missing way too many shots to the right or i'm missing way too many greens short of the hole again for a whole summer then you can actually have a a big enough sample size but just going off of one round and saying i'm a terrible driver because i didn't hit enough fairways today you know well we can't really say definitively if that's the case or not. We need a bigger sample size. So again, keeping stats on a regular basis, so, so, so important, especially for people who put so much time into their game. You know, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to have actionable things to go and work on instead of just showing up at the range and hitting a bucket of balls and thinking you're getting better. I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls in golf is that, people think hitting a bucket of balls is practice. That ain't practice, dude. Mm-hmm. That's exercise, especially if, you're <laughs> yeah. not, especially if you're not doing anything constructive while you're out there. So get some stats on your game so you know where to focus your energy. Absolutely. So those last two points of getting stats and going in with the right questions, that'll really yeah. help you. That'll help your lessons a lot. And I think that you'll get a 100%. lot of productivity. So that was a ton of excellent information about lessons. Cause I do feel like a lot of people go into lessons expecting it to be magic, but there's a certain level of personal responsibility that you have in order to do that. So some people say, Oh, lessons don't help me. They mess up my game. It might just be that they're not there correctly, you know? So yeah. those are some great insights. Now I'd like to shift to where you are professionally. Now, as you said, you're playing some tournaments. The goal is the PGA Championship. Can you talk about um, some of your recent tournaments and what you've been working on in your own game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it is, is just emotional control, you know, mental control, um, being as present as possible. You know, I talked with, I talked with my, with my uh, mentor and friend, Henry Statino all the time about just being present, staying in the moment. You know, it it sounds so cliche and so simple, but really at the end of the day, if you boil it down, it's just, can we focus on this golf shot right now, regardless of the shot I just hit, regardless of where this ball might end up or where I want it to end up? You know, can we just pick the right target? Can we get ourselves aligned to that target? And can we, you know, hold the image of that target in our mind as we swing the golf club? And if I can do those things, I've done all I can as a golfer. And then I move on to the next shot and I try to perform the next one 
at the same level that I just did if it was great or, you know, try to focus on it, on it even more. And that at the end of the day is really all I'm working on when I go to events. I think for me in particular, someone who spends more time on a driving range than on a golf course these days, it's also learning how to separate the golf swing from playing golf. You know, I think the golf swing and playing golf are two very, very, very different things. When Mm -hmm. we're playing golf, we have changing elements. We have to be able to adjust. We have to be able to get over shots. We have to understand course management. We have to understand that we're not going to have our best quote, you know, game, and we still got to get the ball in the hole, you know, and, and, and working on the golf swing is very different, right? It's just kind of sitting in the same spot, hitting the same ball over and over. And that's something that I try to impress on my students is the golf swing and golf playing the game we need to be able to separate those two and compartmentalize those two. When we step out on the golf course, we got to be in the playing golf mode and you got to leave behind everything that you've been working on in your golf swing and just get into your target, get into the flow of the round, get into, you know, being a, you know, adaptable, all that sort of stuff. So that's what I always work on. And I always want to make sure that I put together a good game plan that I've, that I, I know the tee shots I'm going to hit off every tee box that I know, the green complexes and where I can't miss and, and really just in enjoying a good uh, boring round of golf, a lot of pars, you know, kind of birdie the par fives, maybe hit a wedge or two close and really just try to keep the card clean for, for the rest of the, for the rest of the round. So when you, when you're thinking about preparing for a specific tournament, would you say there's much more time in your, in your personal experience, spending time working on course management, course strategy and mentality rather than fundamentals of the swing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think for like a week or a week and a half leading up to the tournament would be ideally where I stop working on my swing or stop filming my swing or stop thinking about the little nuances of the swing and start treating the range as more of a coming up with scenarios and, and, and variable practice and working on distance control and, and shot shape control and all that sort of stuff. You know, let's say I'm hitting at a flag on the range. Well, maybe I'll say in my mind, okay, there's a bunker, right? and the green to the left, I'm going to hit this shot. The ball has to stay left of the pin. And if it stays left of the pin, I get a point, right? And if it goes to the right, I get minus one point, right? And then I come up with, you know, okay, so from that flag to that flag, that's the fairway. I got to hit eight out of 10 shots in the fairway before I leave the range. You know, that sort of thing, that's the switching over between the, the working on the swing aspect of it and the kind of switching your mindset into the playing golf component of it. And then yet yeah, it's a lot of it's course management for me these days, right? I do a lot of work on Google earth, taking a look at the course and, and mapping out my tee shots. And then I'll, 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 you know, I'll screen capture each hole. I'll put it into a PowerPoint presentation. I'll crop it. So it's the size of my yardage book holder. And so I've got myself my own kind of homemade yardage book, so to speak with all my tee shots and all my targets. Mm-hmm. And so now when I step onto the golf course for my practice round, I already feel like I know the course I already know. And so instead of just like trying to come up with my game plan on the fly, I already have a game plan set. And now I'm just going to make tweaks to it along the way. If certain things are not where I thought they would be on the, on Google earth and they're a little different on the course and I can adjust off of that, but it's not like I'm showing up totally unprepared. I already kind of have this game plan in mind and now I make tweaks to it, you know, throughout the event, but I'm also, but for the most part, it's, it's set in stone before I even get to the event. Absolutely. And, and there was a gold nugget in that answer where you were talking about how ideally one or two weeks before the event fundamentals, you, you are where you are, you're not working on it. And I think you look at a lot right. of people who are maybe 
getting ready for a club championship or a member guest, they'll be on the range the day before, like, I need to get rid of this slice. When really, right. you should just be dialing in where your game is at and just really hone in shot shape and, and course management and just get that stuff out of the way. But you should not be having these big swing changes a day or two before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you can see it even at the professional level. Um, you know, Jordan Spieth right now, clearly in a slump, clearly struggling, right? I mean, Cameron McCormick, his coach is with him every single week and they are grinding on his golf swing before each round, after each round. I mean, you can tell he's not playing golf right now. He's playing golf swing or he's focused on his swing so much that he's, he's not in the mindset that what made him so good in 2015, which was the artistry you know, the, the visualization, the, the playfulness, the, the carefreeness of, of playing golf, you can tell that he is definitely not there mentally. And it's, it's evidenced by the fact that he's working so hard on his golf swing up till the 10 minutes before his tee time. Right. So it's not just in the amateur game. It's, it's evident all the time in the pro game as well, but yeah, for the, for the amateur golfer, you know, a lot of them don't even know what the heck they're working on when they're on the range anyway. So, you know, they should be more focused on, okay. And especially when they play the same course, every time, if you, mm -hmm. if you play the same golf course every single day, you should have an, a crystal clear understanding of where you cannot put your golf ball and sure. where you need to aim and where you need to aim so that you're never in those spots. Uh, and you should be able to, you know, dominate your home course with your current game. Uh, and that, that would be a huge one. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you bring up Spieth because there have been, there's been some videos showing him on the range taking standing over a ball for 30 seconds before he hits it. And you look yeah. at some of the most prominent guys on tour right now, uh, Morikawa, great artistry in his game. DJ yep. seems to have shot shapes that he loves. And those are guys that just go out there and, and they play their golf. They're not trying to swing. They're just trying to play their game. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's very fragile where I think I don't think Spieth ever meant to get to this point. I just think he, you know, a few things got off. He went, they tried to figure out the answer and, and it was just a snowball effect, but you know, at the end of the day, it's getting the ball in the hole and it's, it's figuring out how to use your game to, to move your golf ball around the course. You know, if you, again, if you look at the overhead view of a golf course on Google earth, it looks a heck of a lot like a game board right? Mm -hmm. Like shoots and ladders or something, right? Each hole kind of meanders around. There's bunkers that you need to avoid. There's water you need to avoid. And, you know, and your ball is the game piece and you're just trying to move your game piece along each hole. So you avoid the pitfalls, you avoid the, the bunkers and the water and, and, you know, get your ball in the hole in the fewest amount of shots. And you have to do that, accomplish that task with whatever golf swing you have the day of, right? Not what golf swing you want or the golf swing you had last week, but whatever you're doing today, you need to be able to move your golf ball around the golf course effectively. Absolutely. There have been some great quotes of guys on the range when they shoot, they, they, they shoot a low round and they come out and they said, yeah, I was hitting a draw on the range. So I went out there and I hit a draw on the course. It's, it, right. it could be that simple. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of have to be an open-minded individual who's sort of um, okay with it being different from day to day to play good golf and not f trying to force what you think you want to have on the golf course, but just being adaptable and sort of understanding that today might be different from yesterday. Absolutely. Those are all incredible lessons. I think there were a ton of very good, um, just general pieces of advice going to golf lessons, improving your golf that were so valuable. So thank you very much for all of those. Now, before I let you go, Keith, um, 
one thing you do offer is online lessons, which I think are great. Yep. I think it's a great way to make golf more accessible. So how can people uh, get to you to, to take some online lessons and what does that consist of? Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, you know, 2019, I started giving online golf lessons and, you know, 2020, the technology that is available to us is just incredible where, you know, I've worked with, with online students from around the globe, essentially, you know, all the way to, you know, Abu Dhabi, to, to Mexico, to, to Germany, to, you know, to anywhere in the U S um, it, it's, it, and I use the app called Skillist. Um, so it's just, um, like skill with an EST at the end. Um, and the lessons are, are, are video lessons, but there's also zoom integration in the app. So, you know, you and the student can set aside a, you know, 10 AM Pacific time, whatever that is for them. You're both going to be at the range and you're going to set the phone up and, and dial in the zoom integration. You can have a live lesson or, you know, what's a little bit more frequent and a little bit more, um, happens more regularly is the student will send video to me. I'll use the software in the app to analyze the video. And then I will use my phone to film a five to 10 minute clip of myself demonstrating a drill or talking through a mindset or talking through a drill, compress it, upload it into the app, send that over to them. They work on it for a week, send me their progress and that back and forth sort of happens. And now the Skillist app also has uh, ties with a 19 hole or hole 19, I believe, which is a, um, a stats keeping um, app. So, now the students also have the ability to share their stats with their coach, which I think I've been asking for that, but I think that's like the next step in the whole process because unlike in-person lessons, you don't even have the opportunity to go play around a golf or play nine holes with your online students. So it's imperative that you know where they're struggling in their game so that you can help them effectively. Um, but I've had a lot of very, very successful coaching moments and, and coaching opportunities with online students. And especially for people who have, don't have access to a driving range nearby or, or a coach nearby, you know, they can set up a net in their backyard and, and work with one of the best coaches in the world, essentially, and, and, and get better. So it's, 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 it's a really cool thing. So if someone wants to hop on the Skillist app, do they just type in Keith Bennett and then you're up there? Yeah, they'll, they'll type in the get lesson, they'll, they'll punch the get lesson button and then search for me, Keith Bennett, under the coaches app and I'll pop right up and then um, they can either take a one-off lesson uh, or uh, sign up for a monthly membership, which is you get to send as many videos back and forth. It ends up being around four or five back and forths with the amount of time that I want them to work on it um, and then get back to me uh, before each one. So that's, that's kind of how that goes. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the two options and, and I've had a lot of fun and a lot of success uh, using it. Absolutely. I've, I've gotten messages myself of people who have reached out to you and they've definitely seen great benefit there. So that's a great platform. And then for people in your neck of the woods, uh, they can reach you over your website or what's the best way to get, get to you for a, a lesson in person. Yeah. So I, I give all my lessons at the golf club at Newcastle, which is in Newcastle, Washington. It's about 25, 30 minutes East of downtown Seattle. Um, and yeah, my website, keithbennettgolf.com, uh, they can go on there and use my calendar booking feature to set up the date and time that they want to come see me. Uh, and then we meet at the range and go to work. And, you know, I offer uh, uh, lesson packages, uh, nine hole playing lessons, um, you know, hopefully next summer, if we, if we're kind of getting a, a, allowed to do more group type stuff, then uh, I'm going to do more, more clinic type stuff and, and hopefully like a kind of a, a supervised coaching program 
where people can can pay for a monthly membership. They may, they I haven't really figured it out yet, but they they'll get a couple of in person lessons, and then you know I'll be on the range. Let's say every Tuesday night from from four to six, and you know sure. you can show up and and basically get some supervised coaching uh, with a group of other people. Um, and so hopefully more of that stuff going on next summer that I was trying to implement this summer, uh, but everything got squashed obviously. So hopefully next year. Mm -hmm. So those are two great ways to get uh, direct lessons. And you also have some nice uh, content creation, uh, making drills accessible to everybody. Um, what are your, what are your social media handles where people can follow you? Yeah, I, I'm pretty much on, on Instagram exclusively. Um, dabbled a little bit in YouTube a couple of years ago, but it's a little bit more time consuming than I have available to me at the moment. But um, this winter, hopefully doing a little bit more of that. Um, so yeah, Keith Bennett golf on Instagram is where I'm going to put up pretty much the majority of all my content. Um, and then this winter, hopefully again, uh, skill list has a great opportunity for us to create courses. Um, so we can create a course on short game or putting or, or driving. So I'm hoping to, to film some good courses on there that people can purchase and have, you know, an access to a library of videos that, you know, walking them through exactly uh, how to hit their irons better or course management, et cetera. So hopefully more stuff to come along those lines of, of making sure that people get some good information. Awesome. That, 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 that's definitely a great future for the app. I think courses like that will be very beneficial. Yeah, so no doubt. Instagram at Keith Bennett golf, you can find them on uh, the skillist app as well as Keith Bennett um, Great teacher, great ambassador for the game. Uh, happy to have him on Keith. Thank you very much for joining me. I think they took a lot out of this lesson. Yeah, George, I appreciate it. It's been a great chat. And again, thank you for, you know, sharing my content uh, quite a bit. And I really appreciate that. That's helped me to, to grow my following. And obviously you have a massive following on there and people find great benefit uh, from your profile as well. So, you know, hopefully we can keep a good relationship going there and um, you know, your page keeps growing because you put up a ton of good stuff on there too. So yeah, man, it's been a pleasure, but uh, yeah, look forward to working with you in the future. Absolutely. Take care, Keith. All right, George, have a good one. I hope you enjoyed tuning into my conversation with Keith as I found it fascinating to talk to him and learn more about his golf journey. As Keith mentioned towards the end, you can follow him on Instagram at KeithBennettGolf and reach out to him for online or in-person lessons through the Skillist app under Keith Bennett or through his website KeithBennettGolf.com. Thanks again to Keith for taking the time to sit down with me and thanks to you for listening to this episode of Scratch Stories. This show is posted on a weekly basis and released on Tuesdays. So if you like what you heard today, subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcasting platform. Also, please leave a rating so I can know what you think. If you want to reach out to me, you can always send messages to Scratch Golf Tips on Instagram or send me an email at scratchgolftips at mail.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Play well and take care.